I was talking to Bernard this week, and he said something was so great. He said, you know, I, I don't consider this a job. I consider this my ministry. He said, you know, I can't, I can't preach and I can't sing. And I said, well, I've heard you try to sing, and I guarantee you, you're right. You, you can't sing. And I can say that because I can't sing. But what a neat thing that Bernard understands that what he does is not just a job. It's God's call on his life. And see, if you can get a hold of that, whether you're a salesman or you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're in the ministry, whatever it is. Young people, when you're looking at a career, you're not, you're not trying to make money. You're trying to make a difference. And if you're a Christian, you find out what God wants you to do. And whatever that is, that is your ministry. Isn't that an awesome and neat thing? What a great thing. Thanks, Bernard. The word factor. The word factor is a mathematical term. It's used in uh, biochemical terms. It's used in a lot of different ways in life. But when you talk about a factor in everyday life, you're talking about an, an element that can make a difference or has an impact on something or situation. Maybe it is a small impact. Maybe it is a huge impact. But the, a factor is something that is supposed to make a, an impact on a situation or a person. The next six weeks, we're going to talk about a factor that I promise you needs to be making a huge difference in your life. We're going to talk about the forgiveness factor. We're going to talk about, for, for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about this week kind of the foundations of God's forgiveness and why we need it. And next week, we're going to look at how wonderful and amazing God's grace is. Then we're going to talk a couple of weeks about how we need to forgive others and the forgiveness that needs to be poured out from us onto others. And then how we need to forgive ourselves because all of us here today are struggling with one of those three areas, if not all those three areas. So this morning, we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 3, will be a foundational point. But let's begin with this. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. This week, I was looking at a, a Christian website. It was kind of a liberal site not really mainstream Christianity. And, and they said this. They said, we are offended when someone calls someone a sinner. That that is offensive. And who, who are we to call someone else a sinner? Now, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm going to be honest with you, though. You're a sinner. And I'm a sinner, too. Do you know that? The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And it, Greek's a very expressive language. And for our one word, sin, they use five different words in the New Testament. I'm not going to share with you the words because the, the, the words, it, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but what they mean is significant. Here is the five ways sin is defined in the New Testament. You will see yourself in several of these, I promise. One is unbelief. The New Testament talks about the sin of unbelief. Primarily, that is one who, person who's not a Christian. You are guilty of the sin of unbelief. If you, if you, before you were a Christian, you're guilty of the sin of unbelief. A second word is the breaking of God's laws. Now, folks, I want you to put yourself in these categories this morning. You say, well, this is, is this a sermon for Christians? Absolutely, 110% it is. You break God's laws. I promise you, you do. Here's a third word, unrighteousness. God's standard is right. And we do things that is not right, that are not right, unrighteousness. Here's the fourth thing, desire for other things. We, 
we have desires for things that are not of God. We all do. Listen, every Christian does, I promise you. I work with a bunch of preachers. They do, I promise you. And the fifth word and the most common word is to fall short of the standard. It's to miss the mark with God. Romans 3.23 is one of the classic verses in the Bible. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And leave that there for just a minute as we talk about it. The word sin there is that word, that last word I used, to miss the mark. And it says, for all of us have missed the mark. Now, folks, when the New Testament, this, is, this may sound really simple, but this is very important. Anytime when the New Testament uses the word all, it means all. I hear some people say, well, when it says all here, it means all of God's children, all of the elect, all of the la 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 No, no, it doesn't. It means everybody. The word literally means the sum total of individuals are the individuals within the totality. We have all sinned. We have missed the mark with God. Now, here's what you do and what I do. We look at other people and compare ourselves, don't we? My wife compares herself to me, and she says, Oh, but God, I'm much better than him, and she would be correct. Then I'm angry, and I compare myself with Josh, and I say, like Janelle does, Oh, God, I'm much better than him. But that's not the standard. The standard is God. It's perfect. And, and, and the, what that's saying is we've all sinned. We, we all aim at the target, and we've missed. Some of us missed by an inch. Some missed by a mile. But a miss is a miss is a miss. Notice the strange tenses, how, how the, the, the verb tenses change in this sentence. Remember, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, so some of the grammar rules that we use are a little different. It's past tense, for all have sinned. We all have sinned, past tense. But then you have a present continuous sense in the same sentence. And fall short of the glory of God, of God's divine nature, God's divinity. We all have sinned, and we continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God. Again, some of you may say this morning, well, I'm a Christian. Do I sin? Ask your husband or wife. Yes, you do sin. I heard, a, I heard a story about a preacher who went to buy a lawnmower. A little boy was selling lawnmower to yard sale. Pretty cleaned up lawnmower, had it up in the front yard for $20. And the preacher said, man, what's well, a great price. So he went and bought the lawnmower from the little boy. He asked the boy, he said, now, before I leave, can I get it started to make sure that this is going to work? And the boy said, sure. And the preacher went and he started pulling on it. He pulled on it, pulled on it, pulled on it, wouldn't start. He goes, little boy, and he says, I can't get it to start. How do you start? And he said, well, you pull, you pull, you pull. You stop, you cuss. You pull, you pull, you pull, and it'll start. Preacher said, what? He said, you pull, you pull, you pull. You stop, you cuss, and you pull some more, and it'll start. And the the preacher said, well, I'm a pastor. I I don't even remember how to cuss. You know, how we use our pastoral language at times. And the the little boy winked at him and said, keep pulling on that lawnmower. It'll come back to you. (laughs) You know how to sin. Little babies know how to sin. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. You don't have to teach a child how to throw a temper fit. We're all sinners. Now, folks, we're going to get good before we leave here, but we've got to get bad. We've got to get to the tough part first, so stay with me. Your biggest problem is sin. My biggest problem is sin. Now, I don't want to at all minimize your hurts this morning, whether it's financial problems, whether it's uh, health problems, whether it's relational problems, but I want to tell you, the biggest problem you have in your life is sin. The thing that affects you more negatively than anything else 
is S-I-N. Genesis 3, I'm going I'm to catch you up to speed before we look into it. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. Folks, if you want to see what heaven will be like, it's probably this picture more than anything else in the Bible. Garden of Eden is perfect. Listen, Adam and Eve, they liked each other and they didn't argue. And married couples, that's perfection, isn't it? That's heaven. And they walked with God and they saw God and the work was not hard. It was not laborious. Everything was wonderful. And then they sinned. They broke God's laws. They did what God told them not to do. And everything went downhill after that. How is sin your biggest problem? Here's the first thing. Sin's what messes you up with God. It's what messes you up with God. Verses 8 through 11. Then the men, the man and his wife, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Now, they'd heard this many times before and it had to be wonderful, but it wasn't today. In the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. You can't hide from God. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He knew where they were. That was, that was he was calling, saying that for their benefit. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Listen. If you're not a Christian today, you know what's keeping you from God? It's going to ultimately keep you to he- from heaven if you don't make a turn. It's sin. It's the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, I want to throw this to you Christians because I, I want the whole sermon. It, it's, not, it's about all of us here today. If you're an atheist or if you're the most committed Christian here, what's messing you up with God is sin. It, it, it's what's keeping you fruitless, it's keeping you joyless, it's keeping you ineffective with God. It's creating distance between you and God is sin. Sin is our biggest prize, messes us up with God. Secondly, it messes us up with other people. It messes us up with others, not only with God, but others. Look in verse 12 and 13. The man courageously said to God, it was the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit. Adam really manned up on that, didn't he? Sissy. I'd have done the same thing, I'm sure. And she gave fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman manned up. And she said, it was the snake that did it. The snake did it. The serpent that did it. You see, what alienated a perfect marriage, what messed up, A perfect relationship was sin. Now, here's what messes up your life. Jealousy does, doesn't it? Lust does. Adultery, fornication, temper fits. You say things you shouldn't say. You got a bad attitude. You don't forgive people. You're mad at people in this room this morning, and it creates tension. And all of that can be summed up in one word. That's sin. That's sin. You can, you can psychologically do with it whatever you want to. Socialize it. We'll do whatever you want to. But the bottom line is our problems with other people ultimately is a sin problem. Here's the third thing. Sin messes us up with ourselves. It just messes us up. I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this because it's a little long. Here's what God said after they sinned. God said, okay, serpent, you're going to crawl on your belly the rest of your life. 
Now, I guess the snake at that point walked everywhere. It went on two legs, not anymore. And he said, by the way, snake, every time a human sees you, they're going to try to step on your head. And all God's people said, amen to that. And then the snake said, "Uh uh-huh, and I'm going to try to bite your heel every time you try to step on it. And he said to the woman, hey, you did what's wrong. You're going to want your husband. You're going to have a desire for your husband. But when you have babies, it's going to be terribly painful from this point on. And he said to the man, he said, and and basically also said, the man's going to rule over you. There's always going to be a little bit of tension in the relationships from this point on throughout society. And he says to the man, he says, listen, every time you go work in the field from this point on, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And by the way, when all said and done, y'all are going to die because of your sin. How many of you think sin costs them a lot? Man, it's what's costing you. Several years ago in, in, in Los Angeles, a UCLA professor named Dr. Norman Cavanish did an extensive study of one-car accidents in L.A. They wanted to know why is there so many people in the car by themselves crashing. A lot of times not even hitting another car. And here's what they found out. About a fourth of those, up to 30%, were people who were either trying to kill themselves or punish themselves because of guilt, of sin, and its burden in their life. Wow. I mean, man... Sin's what messes you up. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, excuse me, it says, listen, for the wages of sin is death. Leave that there for just a moment. That word wage was a military term in Jesus and Paul's day. And when a soldier got paid, that was what he got. He got his wage. A wage was not a gift. It was not a bonus. It was not, you've been working for us 20 years. Here's some more money. Have fun. It was, you got exactly what you deserve. Here's what the Bible says. Sin pays you and I what we deserve, and that's death. Some of you say, well, I learned this in Bible school. That's eternal death. That's just one part of it. Folks, let me tell you what, when it says the wages of sin is death, yes, If you die without Christ, it is eternity separated from God. It's eternal death. But, folks, death itself came into the world with sin, physical death, the death of joy, the death of happiness. Some of you today are Christians, and you're not happy. You're not joyful. You're not effective. Oh, you're religious, but you're lacking so much because sin's got a hold on your life, and sin brings death. Our greatest problem is sin. So what's the remedy? If it's our greatest problem, what do we do about it? What's the fix? You know, the world has a lot of solutions for for the sin remedy. A lot of ideas, things that we should do. One thing you hear is we need more education. I'm for education. I spent a lot of years in school. Education doesn't solve the sin problem. One thing thing you hear often is more money. The reason there's crime is there's poverty. And if you just give people more money, there will be less crime. Poverty is a terrible thing. The only good thing that may come out of poverty is it gets people to turn to God because they have nowhere else to go to. But poverty is not a good thing. But, folks, the crime problem is not a money problem. It's a sin problem. you got a lot of rich people in prison today. It's a sin problem. How many of you know who Yoko Ono is? Yoko Ono. She was John Lennon's wife. Back in, in, uh, in 
the fall of 2008, it was coming near the anniversary of his death on December 8th, Yoko got a full-page ad in the New York Times, which you can imagine what that cost, and she said on John, the anniversary of his death, we're going to make this a national peace day, that we're going to thank peace, we're going to feel peace, we're going to experience peace, we're going to bring peace into our hearts, and it's going to seep out, and peace is going to affect the whole world, and everything's going to be good from this point on, and we'll look back someday and say, it happened on the day of peace. What in the world was she talking about? Yoko went loco with that, didn't she? I mean, I have no idea what she was talking about. But I, I, I like the concept, think good thoughts, be, be at peace, hum, whatever. But, folks, that's not going to solve the sin problem in your life and my problem. You know what a lot of preachers do now? Well, the sin problem is they lift up the rug and they just brush it under. You don't want to talk about it. That doesn't fix it. You see, what we need is God's solution, and that's forgiveness. You know what needs to be poured on your life today? God's forgiveness. You wish some people would pour it on you. You have no choice in that sometimes. But what you need to pour on other people is forgiveness. You know what needs to be poured on you by you? (laughs) Is you need to forgive yourself. And it's easy when you hear forgiveness, you go, okay, again, I learned this in Bible school. Folks, this is anything but simple and shallow. In fact, forgiveness is one of the most profound and difficult subjects in the Bible when you really look at it. Folks, sin is what ruins humanity. Sin's what brought death into the world. Sin's what alienates us from God. Sin offends God. It hurts God. It's serious stuff. And in the Old Testament, God said the only way that forgiveness could happen was by the shedding of blood. There had to be blood shed for forgiveness to take place. I don't understand that, but I can read. I want to read to you something I've read to you before, but you don't remember it because it's so detailed. It's from a book called Paul and Rabbinic Judaism by a guy named W.D. Davis. And here's what he lists. He lists the official sacrifices that took place in the temple every year. Not personal sacrifices, not what you would do at your house or you would do at the temple. Official sacrifices that had to be offered for the forgiveness of sin of the people. 1,093 lambs. 113 bulls. 37 rams. 32 goats. Over 1,000 lambs. Isn't that unbelievable? It's part of the process to appease God for our sins. And that was an okay system for a while, but that was not the perfect system. And in the fullness of time, what the Bible says is God sent Jesus. Jesus looked at you and me, and he goes, their biggest problem is not their report card. Their biggest problem is not having a mean wife or husband. Their biggest problem is not... They can't get a girlfriend or boyfriend. Their biggest problem is sin. And God the Father and God the Son made the decision that Jesus would come and pay the price for our sins. Romans 5, 8. Listen, this is a verse everybody needs to know. God demonstrates, God shows his great love towards us. Read that last part with me. While... 
Man, isn't that awesome? Listen, Jesus didn't say when they get cleaned up, when they smell good, when they're religious, when they're a good Methodist, a good Baptist, a good Catholic, a good Presbyterian, then I'll die for them. Jesus said, no, in their sin, in the yuck of their life, when they're far from me, I knew the problem they needed solved more than anything else was the sin problem. And so Jesus left heaven to come to earth to die on the cross for our sins. Isn't that awesome? 1 John 2, 2 is another great verse. Look what it says. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me explain that. Leave that verse there for a moment. Atoning, what that means, it's a really deep word that means that when Jesus died... He satisfied all of God's wrath, all of God's anger towards sin. He completely pleased God by what he did in relation to our sin. Not only did he do that, but he provided everything that was needed so that the guilt and the stain of your sin and my sin could be gone forever. And it says he died not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. In other words, this morning, and you're sitting here and you wonder, did Jesus die for me? Is his sacrifice good for my sins? You're part of the world. I love what Martin Luther, who was a a theologian in the 1500s, a lady came to him and said, Dr. Luther, I understand that that Jesus died for Peter, James, and, and Paul and those guys, but did he die for me? And he says, you're part of the world, and if he died for Peter, James, Paul, and John, and all those guys, he died for you too. In other words, your greatest problem is sin. And Jesus Christ came, and he died on that cross to make forgiveness possible for you and me. So here's what we got to do. We've got to receive God's forgiveness. You see, it's wrapped up in a package. It's been paid for, and it's been delivered to you and been delivered to me. But a lot of us have just sat around and looked at the package. Even a lot of us as Christians, we have received Christ, but today we're looking at the package again instead of living in its presence. There's two parts of this, and the first part is its salvation. You need to, you you receive God's forgiveness when you become a Christian. Some of you today are not Christians, you're baptized, you're religious, but you do not know Christ personally. And what you need more than anything else is to find Christ and to receive his forgiveness. In John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave a right to become The children of God. You see, forgiveness is found when you receive Christ. When he comes into your life. Remember, it's not cheap. It's not easy. Salvation doesn't happen by just believing facts in Jesus. You believe who he is and and it's giving your life to him. It's repenting. It's it's saying, God, I want to be different and I'm following you. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, first thing it said about Jesus preaching, he came preaching, repent, turn from your sins. And when we do, he will forgive us. In Colossians 2, 12, listen to what this says, 2, 13. When you were dead in your sins 
And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us of all our sins. I want you to get fired up with me for a second. If you're a Christian, when you got saved, not only did God forgive you of the sin of unbelief, but everything you've done in your past, he wiped it clean. He forgot about it. It's gone. Say amen. Wow, isn't that awesome? Next week, we're going to spend the time in the sermon talking about those things specifically, what it means. But I just want to throw that at you. God's never going to bring up again to you what happened before you knew him. You're not saved today, man. You come to Christ. He forgives you. And your sins of the past are gone forever. The only person that remembers them is a man or woman who's mad at you and the devil. But God doesn't. Now, here's the second part of this, and this is so important for you Christians. We need to receive the forgiveness regularly. Yeah, when you got saved, God forgave you of the sin of unbelief. God forgave you of your past sins, but you still sin. I still sin. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. This was written for Christians. That's very important to understand. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Did you get that? And the truth is not in us. You sin. I sin. But look in verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Leave that there for just a second. This was written to Christians. Now, I've heard Christians say, you don't have to confess your sins. They're all forgiven in Jesus Christ. I guess this verse, this must have been a typo in all the Bibles, huh? For the last 2,000 years. Folks, don't, for, don't confuse your position as a child of God relationship with your fellowship with God. When you sin as a Christian and you do every time, every day, a lot of times during the day, that does, you don't lose your relationship with God, but it impedes your fellowship with God. We don't confess our sins over and over to be saved. We confess our sins as a Christian to stay in a good fellowship with God. The word confess is a neat word. It's actually made up of two Greek words. One of the words is homo. It literally means the same. The second word is lego, to say. When you confess your sins, what you're doing is you're saying the same thing about your sins that God says about them. You're not saying, well, this isn't a nice thing, or, or this was a mistake, or this was an error. You're saying this is sin. I heard a story of a pastor who was down front one time. He preached on sin and getting right with God. And a man came down. He said, preacher, he said, I want to get right with God. I got sins I need to confess. Can we do it? And the preacher said, let's do it. And the guy started praying and he went spiritual. He went religious. He said, oh, God, if we have sinned, preacher interrupted him. Now, we're taught, we're trained, highly trained professionals not to interrupt y'all when you're praying. But he interrupted him. He said, buddy, first of all, leave me out of it. Don't say, if we. This is about you. And he said, don't say, if we've sinned. You've sinned. Get serious with God. Folks, don't, don't pray those man-me, pamsy prayers. God, if I've sinned, forgive me. You have sinned. Ask your husband or wife or your parents or ask your children. They'll tell you. When you confess your sins as a Christian, you're getting honest with God. You're saying, God, I lied. I thought things I shouldn't have. I gossip. I slander. I don't like people. And it's sin, and I want to do better. I want to turn from it. But you get honest and specific and open with God. And when we do, you know what the Bible says? God forgives us. 
Some of us as Christians today, we're unfruitful, we're unhappy, we're ineffective. Our, our character, our reputation's poor because we're not dealing with the sin in our life. And we need to do that, and we need to do that often. It's hard, but it's like taking a bath. You sure feel better when it's over. I want to give you one last great thought. I didn't come up with this, but it's a great saying. There's more grace in the heart of God than there is sin in your past or your present or there ever will be in your future. Do you get that? There's more grace and forgiveness in the heart of God than there ever will be sin in your past, your present, or in your life. All you and I have to do is reach out and take Jesus and accept that forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? If we'll just do it. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, it's time to be honest with God. It's time to do business with God. You need His forgiveness. And if you're not a Christian, where you are, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And I believe, Jesus, you're God's son. And that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. Today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. When we stand in a minute and sing, I want to challenge you today if you're a Christian. Maybe you can do it just where you're standing, but maybe today you need to come and get on your face before God and get things right. Every Christian in here certainly needs to make a commitment to daily keeping a clean account with God to receive His forgiveness and grace. Christian, do that. You're here this morning and you'd like to join our church. One way you can do that is when we stand. Just come and talk to one of our ministers. We'll help you do that today. You're here today and you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come? Maybe you want a family member or friend to come with you. Ask them. They will. Come and talk to one of our ministers. Folks, the grace of God is waiting for you to simply receive it. Let's stand. God leads you this morning. You respond to him. Respond to him today.